As our three kids have been growing, one of the things that we did at our last house that we owned in Florida before we moved here to Tennessee is probably what many of you do is we would have them stand against a door frame and you would measure how tall they were against the wall. You get a a marker or a pen and and mark their height and you'd put their initials and the date by it and you'd see uh, them literally grow up against that wall over time and you could measure that. You could see them growing there uh, against the wall. Now, you can also measure other types of growth, like you can tell if you're getting bigger with the notches on your belt, right, or, or smaller maybe uh, by the notches on your belt. Some things are, are maybe a little bit more difficult to measure if you're growing, like, say, intelligence. It's, diff- it's, it's not as easy. You can't just see it that it's taller and make a mark. You, you, they have tests and different diagnostics that can determine how much knowledge that you're, that you're retaining and, and, and if you can uh, repeat some of those things. And so that's maybe a measure of, of intelligence. But something that's even more difficult to measure is spiritual growth, right? It's difficult to to see that. You can't just go, well, he looks spiritually taller today, or he's lost a little bit of spiritual weight. You know, it's it's, it's hard to, to measure spiritual growth. And so how can you tell if you're growing spiritually? Well, historically, churches have have typically sort of looked at things that they could count or things that they could measure, like church attendance, like being a part of a Bible study, like giving, and those sort of things. Those are the things that churches have sort of tracked over the years, and they'd say, hey, there's been more people sitting in the sanctuary, so we're doing good. Or there's been more people that have been in Bible studies, so we're doing good. Or, or more people are giving, so we're doing good. Or, or less people are in Bible studies, so we're doing bad. And so that, that the churches sort of, through, through time, have used those things as a measuring stick to, to measure spiritual growth. But are those things accurate as a measure of spiritual growth? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, if someone is growing spiritually in their walk with God, they certainly will want to be a part of worship They'll certainly want to be a part of Bible study. They'll certainly want to give as an act of worship to the Lord. But you can also do all three of those things and not be growing spiritually, right? I mean, there, there are certainly people that, that do all those things that maybe aren't growing spiritually. Our pastors are currently reading a book called The Gospel Center Church, and it asks this very question. It asks the question, how can we know if God is at work in a person's life or that God is at work in a, in a church? How, how do we know if we're growing spiritually? Well, as we come to Psalm 119 today, we're going to see what the author of the Psalm says about growing in our walk with God. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn with me this morning to Psalm 119. We're going to be in verse 33, and I ask that you stand in honor of God's word if you're able. Psalm 119, verse 33, the word of God says, Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me to understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me to stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. 
Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless and give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. Thank you. You may be seated. We're doing a series on Sunday mornings called People of the Book, and we're studying through Psalm 119, which is an alphabet poem in the Hebrew language. And every stanza, the first letter of each line of that stanza begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And today we come to the Hebrew letter, hey. Everybody say, hey. Hey, okay, this is hey, the Hebrew letter. Uh, and it's, this is what begins every line of this particular stanza. And this stanza, the, the author is, is showing us what part the Bible plays in our growth with the Lord spiritually. And as we look at this stanza, there's two things that I think are, are markers that he, that he draws out of our spiritual growth. And the first one is this understanding produces growth. I think one sign of a person who is growing spiritually is that they're growing in understanding of the word of God. One can't help but notice as they read the word that the people of God are expected to grow in their walk with God. I mean, you just it's clear all throughout the Bible. There's Many metaphors that the Bible uses to describe this process that we're compared to branches that are connected to the vine that grow. Uh, We're compared to trees that bear fruit. Uh, We're compared to infants that mature. Uh, So there's this expectation that Christians will mature and grow in their relationship with God. That we wouldn't remain stagnant or we wouldn't remain sedentary or, or anything like that. That we would be moving forward with our eyes fixed on Christ. And so the author here says that it begins with this knowledge of the word. In verse 33, he says to us, teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes. He says, teach me the meaning. Help me to know your word. And the word will transform your mind. You will think differently, clearly, godly. That's what the word does in our minds. You must be a student of the Bible if you're to know God and to know the ways of God. I mean, it sounds really simple, like a a Sunday school answer, But to grow in your walk with God, you need to read and study your Bible. Now you say, I I, I know, preacher, I mean, I know I need to study my Bible, but what else do I need to do, right? I mean, what what other program or, or trick or hack or quick fix do I need to do for spiritual growth? You need to read and study your Bible, is that, I mean, is that clear enough? We need to read and study our Bibles. There isn't a shortcut. There's not a, a microwave option. 
According to LifeWay research, the number one common trait of Christians that consider themselves to be growing in their faith is Bible engagement. That's consistently always the top answer when they measure this, is Bible engagement. Now, you'll have to forgive me this morning. I mean, I'm starving. I mean, I, I haven't eaten all week. I'm starving. I only eat once a week. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really hungry by Sunday mornings. When you only eat once a week, I mean, you're just like famished by the time that you get here. Get one of these donuts. I mean, do y'all not do that? Y'all, you eat more than once a week? You eat every day? You eat multiple times a day? What's wrong with you people? Unfortunately for many people, Sunday morning is the only time that we are spiritually fed. You have to really forgive me. I got to get some water. Uh, But God wants you to be eating every day. Multiple times a day. All week long. I mean, the, the Bible that you have in your hand is God's word to you. And he's gone to a lot of trouble to get this in your hands. He created it so that you could know him and that he would speak to you through this book. And so that means that this book is more than just a book. It's the very word of almighty God. And that ought to spur us on to read and study and know this book like no other. Because God is speaking to us here. That's why we have created a, a, a weekly Bible reading plan. It's on our mission folder every week. It's on our online, on our website. It's uh, on this new app that our church has. It's there. I'm reading this every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is a, a weekly Bible reading plan that you can do too. And I would encourage you to, to be in this word every single day, reading, spending time hearing from God. Because as we grow in understanding, the Lord will teach us and the Lord will help us. He'll impart his knowledge and his wisdom and his understanding into us. In verse 34, the psalmist says, help me to understand your instruction. He says, I really want to know it. I really want to know you, God. I mean, this is more than just rote memorization. It's more than just knowledge about facts in the Bible. I mean, you can win a Bible trivia game and not understand the Bible, right? And so it's, it's, he's asking and praying for God to grant him understanding of the Bible. Lord, help me to know you here. And this knowledge and understanding of the Bible ought to result in obedience to the word of God. 
In verse 35, he continues by saying, help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. He loves it. He says, help me to stay on the path. And the word will transform our feet as we read it and understand it. It's, if we really understand it, we want to obey it. We want to to follow it. I mean, doing shows that we believe it, that we're in it. The more you commit to following God's word, the more that you're going to grow in your relationship with God because God blesses obedience. I mean, listen to the commitments that this psalmist makes. In verse 33, he says, teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes. Teach me the meaning and I will always keep them, he says. In verse 34, help me to understand. Lord, help me to understand. And I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. You see the commitments that he's making? He's saying, God, help me to know. Help me to understand. Teach me and I will do it. That's why we challenge ourselves every week to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Because hearing the word without doing it only makes you hard-hearted and calloused. And so he's saying, Lord, teach me, help me to understand, and I'm going to do it. In verse 36, he says, turn my heart to your decrees. As you're in the word, growing in understanding of the word, it will transform your heart. He says, Lord, I want the things of my heart to be for the things of God. That's what David says in Psalm 51 verse 10. God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Is Lord, change my heart so that it would be in line with this word that I'm growing and knowing and understanding and obeying. It's a heart that begins to turn away from worldly things. That's what he says in verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at what's worthless. Turn my heart away from worthless things. Make my affections be for the Lord. Make make the passions of my heart be godly and not worldly. And this sort of growth comes from spending time in God's word. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't really feel like I'm growing right now in my walk with God. We've been through times like this before. I know I have. You say, I I sort of feel like I'm in in a rut spiritually. How's your time in the Bible? Because that's almost always a sign that you aren't reading God's word consistently. It's almost always the case. If you find yourself in a spiritual rut, you find yourself where you feel like you're not growing, it's almost always the case that we're not consistently in God's word. Because God will begin to change your mind, he'll begin to change your feet, he'll begin to change your heart, because this understanding produces growth in us. So how can we measure if someone is growing spiritually, they're going to grow in the understanding and loving God's word. The second thing that the psalmist says is that reverence produces growth. There's a second sign that he gives us here 
of a person who's growing spiritually, and that is that they have a greater reverence for God. Look what he says in verse 38. Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. He asked God to confirm what he said to him. So what has God said to his servant? Well, he's, he's spoken to us here. This is where God has spoken to us. And so he's saying, God, confirm this to me. Keep speaking your word to me. Because the more that I hear it, the more that I revere you. His time in the word produces reverence for the Lord. And that reverence is a sign of maturity and of growth. And so if you are growing in your spiritual walk with the Lord, you also ought to be growing in your respect of God. There's an old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Anybody ever heard that before? Familiarity breeds contempt. It means that the more that you know someone or the more that you know something, some organization, the, the, the closer that you're associated with them, the more you see them and you begin to lose respect for them, right? That familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe you looked up to an athlete or you looked up to a TV or movie star and, and maybe you actually got to be around them at some point and you saw that they're really not a nice person. And you lose respect for them. Familiarity breeds contempt. But the opposite is true with God. Familiarity breeds awe. The more you know God, the bigger he is. The more that you know God, the holier that he is. The more that you know God, the greater that he is. The more that you know God, the more powerful that he is. The more you know God, the smaller you are. Familiarity breeds awe of God. The word that the psalmist uses here is the Hebrew word yirah, which is translated as reverence or fear fear. Now, in a, in a modern Western culture, we sort of shy away from that word fear, probably because we've seen such poor examples of authority figures using force or manipulation or abuse to instill fear, right? But that's not at all what this word means. A few weeks ago, there was one thing on the mind of all Knox villains, a tiger, right? There was a tiger on the loose here in Knoxville, supposedly. Now, it turns out that the tiger was probably a bobcat, but nonetheless, everyone for several days were on the lookout for a tiger here in our city. And what if you were walking in your backyard it's about dusk. You're going out there with the water hose to water some flowers in the backyard. And out of the bushes creeps out a nine foot long, 400 pound, black and orange striped man eater. And they're looking at you right in the eyes with their glowing golden eyes. At that moment, you would have a deep and profound understanding of what reverence and awe and fear means, right? That's what this word is talking about. 
And a healthy fear of the Lord is a good thing. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11, the psalmist says, Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 7, the psalmist says, I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down toward your holy temple and reverential awe of you. I'm telling you, when you see all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, when people drew near to Yahweh, when people drew near to Christ, there was always respect and awe. Always. If you ever make it to the Holy Land and visit the city of, of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, there on the historic site of Jesus' birthplace is built a great chapel called the, the Church of the Nativity. And one of the more interesting components of this church is what's called the Door of Humility. Now, unlike uh, St. Paul's Basilica there in Rome where the entrance doors are 25 feet high and they're to draw your eye upward here at the Church of the Nativity, the architects built it in such a way that you can't enter in unless you bow. That you have to bow down to come into the place where Jesus was born. And I think that these architects were making a statement about how we're supposed to approach the Lord. It's with humility. It's with recognizing that who God is and who we are, that we come bowing before him. Look at what happens in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 when the prophet had this vision of the Lord. In verse 1 he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. And seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings, and two they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, with two they flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is the vision that he sees of God. And how does he respond to that in verse 5? He says, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. When he saw the Lord, his his response was reverence and awe and fear before him. You think about when the Magi came to see the Christ, Christ child born in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11. Matthew says that entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. These high dignitaries from foreign lands 
bowing to their knees before this child, worshiping him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I wonder if we have that same reverence coming before the Lord. Do we have that same awe and fear coming into the presence of God? Because I believe that if, if we really believed that God were here, that we wouldn't show up late with hearts that are unprepared, standing disengaged, scrolling through social media. We just wouldn't do that. If we really believe that God were here and we were coming into his presence, the almighty, all-powerful creator of the heavens and the earth, if we were coming into his presence, there would be more reverence, more fear, more awe of him. Are we approaching his word with awe and respect, with, with fear? Or are we just sort of picking it up like it's a summer beach novel? And this, this reverence for the Lord will supersede everything else. That's what he's saying here in verse 39. He says, Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. The psalmist is asking for God to turn away the disgrace that he might receive from others because of his allegiance to the Lord. Turn away this disgrace that I'm dreading. Where others might mock him or shun him because he's following after God. He says, that's okay because God, your judgments are good. And I'm going to follow after you. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so when our allegiance to God is greatest in our life, that is a sure sign of growth. He says that's the beginning of true knowledge, this fear of the Lord. We either do or do not do things because of our deep reverence for God. It changes who we are. We obey and follow him because we love him and we fear him. But the psalmist's concern is valid nonetheless, isn't it? That he's dreading disgrace. I mean, all of us would would admit that there have probably been times in our life that we didn't follow God faithfully because we feared how someone would react. We feared that someone would say something to us or, or make fun of us or mock us or shun us or not invite us to something. We hesitated because we feared how man might respond. The author William Gurnall says, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. I mean, think about how the New Testament disciples acted in the book of Acts after Jesus was raised from the dead. Now before, eh, (laughs) those three days, they were hiding, scared for their lives. But after they saw Jesus raised from the dead, they were like a different group of dudes. In Acts chapter four, verse 19 and 20, it says, Peter and John answered the, the, uh, 
the Jewish council that brought them in, told them to quit preaching in Jesus' name. They said, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Because we're unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And this group of unlearned men that were scared for their lives, hiding from the authorities, are standing up on the day of Pentecost and they're preaching to thousands saying, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they defied the Jewish authorities. They continued to preach in the name of Jesus saying, he's the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but he's become the chief cornerstone. And they stood firm in the face of persecution and even martyrdom saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And they turned the entire world upside down because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. They feared God more than man. And humility and contrition before the Lord was part of who they were. And that reveals a heart that's growing in the Lord, recognizing who God is and who we are. And this reverence produces growth in us. So Christians, this morning, it's time for us to pull out the marker and and measure. Might not be able to see so clearly like you could on a height or even on a belt, but there are things that will surely be indicators of spiritual growth in our lives. And two of those are understanding of God's word and reverence or fear for the Lord. So are you growing in understanding of God's word more than you were five months ago? Are you growing in greater awe of God than you did five months ago? These are indicators that you can sort of look at your life and, and, and do a self-assessment, a measurement. And so maybe you need to spend some time this morning during this time of response that we're going to have in just a moment. There at your seat, even here at this altar, spending time doing these assessments. Maybe making confessions to the Lord. Maybe making commitments to the Lord. There may be others here today who need to humble themselves before God and cry out to him for salvation, recognizing that your sin has separated you from the creator of all things, the judge of the living and the dead. And this morning, maybe his Holy Spirit has stirred within you a reverence and an awe and a fear of him. Today, I want you to know that this God who is so powerful, so holy, so great, loves you so much that he sent his very own son to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you wouldn't have to be condemned in your sin. You wouldn't have to face death, but instead you could have forgiveness. Instead, you could have life and salvation. If you put your faith and your trust in this Jesus who died on the cross for you, who was placed in the grave on the third day, who rose from the dead and conquered sin and conquered death and conquered hell for all who would trust in him as their savior and follow him as their Lord. And today that person can be you. 
This gift is for you. If you would repent or turn from your sins and call on Jesus to forgive you and to save you today. So this morning during this time of response, there's going to be leaders here across the front and they're there to talk with you, to pray with you. If this is a decision that you want to make in your heart, I want to encourage you today to come and to share that with one of these leaders at the front. Say today, I want to trust in Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you're watching online and you want to respond. You, this, is, you, this decision is one that you want to make in your heart. Then grab your phone and text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. Let us know that this is a decision that you want to make. And we'll be quick to follow up with you and to talk with you about this decision. But however God is speaking to your heart today, now's the time to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word. God, we do pray today that your word would produce in us understanding and reverence and growth in our walk with you. God, that we wouldn't come here and leave unchanged, but Lord, that coming into your presence, Lord, hearing your praises sung and proclaimed in your word, Lord, would transform us by your Holy Spirit. And that God, that we would be committed to you in a greater way as we leave this place, even than when we entered into this place. And so God, I pray that you would do this work in our hearts. And for any that are here that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today that they would repent and believe and be saved. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.